morning. Glad to have you here today. We're going to continue through 1 John. If you want to turn there, 1 John chapter 2, we're actually just going to probably talk about uh, verses 15 through 17, even though we read a little bit more. But I want to start out before that with a, a couple uh, passages from Paul just to show the Christian's mindset of where we need to be in our life. And so in 2 Timothy, the third chapter, it tells us this, but, now, but know this, that in the last days perilous uh, times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. And then he would go on to say, basically, and such were some of you. And then in Philippians, the third chapter, uh, Paul says this, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us as many are mature, having this mind, if anything, if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by that same rule. Let us be of that same mind. Amen. So we have, as we come into John, 1 John, little epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, we see where John is challenging us. And this is just a good book, I think, for all of us to look at because in our lives we need to examine ourselves. Uh, John isn't talking here about looking at your neighbor, trying to find fault with others. He's really putting this on us to say, hey, look in this mirror. Examine yourself and see what it is that, that Christ has for you. And he even challenges us in the areas of salvation because we know that in the Bible it tells us, you know, many say, Lord, Lord, but do not the things that he commands them. And there are, have, there are those that have this form of godliness but they deny the power. And so John is talking here about this attack on our relationship with God, which is worldliness. And so as the scriptures just read from Paul saying, you know, in the last times we have these things are going to be going on. We see this unthankful, unloving, unforgiving, all these things. We look in the world, we see that all over today. And then in Philippians where he says, you know, not that, that, that I have arrived, not that I am all that I should be, but he says, I press towards this goal. And so a few weeks ago, we talked about the stages of Christian maturity. And so in verses 12 through 14, he talked about little children. He talked about young men or young women. And then he talked about uh, fathers and mothers, the, the elderly. And we talked about that that wasn't about age. He's not talking about age there. He's talking about our spiritual maturity in that place. And so when we come to Christ... We come as newborn babes, okay? We come as, as just infants. We need to learn about God. We need to know more about Him. We come with full dependence just upon Him for everything that we have. And so we're babes in Christ. 
doesn't matter if you're 80 years old and you come to Christ for the first time, you're a babe in Christ. And then just like a normal child, they develop and they begin to grow and they begin to mature. Unfortunately, in the world today, we see a lot of people that never really even grow up in the natural world. They, they, they age, you know, bodily, but their mindset is still stuck as a child. And we see that spiritually many times where people come to Christ, they might have, might have said this prayer, they, they, and sincerely with it, but they've just never grown in God's word. They've never taken that next step. And so John is saying, Really, these things shouldn't be. In our life, we need to continue to grow. And in order to grow, we need to identify the things in our life that need to go, that God is revealing to us. And he's going to talk about three things today. And basically, it's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And I believe that every sin that you can imagine goes back to one of those three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. So John had told us in chapter 1, it says that if we walk in darkness and claim to be in fellowship with God, he says we're liars. John 1, 6 says that. So if we proclaim to you know, be a Christian, but we continue to walk in sin's path, he says you're lying. You're lying. Those two just don't mix. It's like a, a freshwater well and a saltwater well cannot come out of the same well, right? Oil and water does not mix. And so John is going to tell us, that these things are incompatible with one another. Having a relationship with God, so being born again, being spirit-filled, and loving the world. He says those things are, are incompatible with one another. And so he's, he uh, points out these specific sins or these, these roots of sins um, that affect our fellowship with God. And mainly it is this, it's worldliness and it's love of the world. So it's not the global world, it's not this uh, global earth or this mass of humanity, because we know that uh, for God so loved the world, right? He loves the people of the world. He went to the cross to die for whosoever would accept him. So we know it's not hating them because Jesus loved them. We know it's not even this global mass, uh, because God created all these things that we might enjoy in them, okay? It's a beautiful last couple of days, beautiful morning this morning. I mean, we can, we can sit out there and we can just admire God's handiwork and just give him praise for those things. Uh, yesterday, Julie and I were able to, to get a day away finally, and we went up and, and sat uh, on our land up there along the river and just looked, and it was just like, man, God is just, his, his handiwork is marvelous, is just wonderful. So it's not that that he's talking about, but he's talking about the world system. When we talk about worldliness, we're talking about uh, the world system. And so the things of this world are contrary to the things of God. And so one of the things that I like that, that this says here is that worldliness is whatever makes sin look normal and righteousness look strange. And so I want you to think about that. We live in a society today where, where the world system wants to make sin look normal. Right? So we see... Uh, transgender, we see homosexuality, we see adultery, we see fornication, we see, you know, lying and cheating, we see all these things that the world says, well, this is all just normal. This is just, you know, normal. And when we take a stand on that as Christians and say, but God's word says these things, then all of a sudden we're made to look strange. So that's a way that we can define worldliness when we look at things in the world. Whatever makes sin looks normal, 
That's worldliness. That's the world's system at work. And whatever makes righteousness or God's word, what God proclaims, whatever makes that look strange is also of this world's system. And so we can go back to Genesis 11 and uh, we can see society's rebellion against God and we see that today. We see uh, society as they rebel against God and his word and you know the things that God calls sin, we want to say it's not. And the Bible warns us. It says, you know, there's a time coming when they are going to call evil good and good evil. Well, we're sort of in that, that day right now. Well, in Genesis 11, we have this thing called the Tower of Babel that, that happened. And so we see this, these people uh, unified against God and God's direction. So the Tower of Babel was uh, under the authority of this anti-God a leader named Nimrod, and so we sort of can see in the world today uh, leaders that are anti-God. Some of them even call themselves Christians, but everything that they propose, everything they stand up for is against God's word. Well, Nimrod was one of those. He was, a, uh, he was against God. He was against what God would have had them to do. And there was this organized rebellion, really, uh, against God and disobeying when God said, disperse into you know, all, the, all the parts of the earth. Uh, they didn't obey him. And so they came together and they said, you know what, we're going we're gonna to build this, this Tower of Babel. And there's all sorts of philosophies of it. Some said, well, it's to reach up to heaven. Um, but there was a distrust of really God's word and promise um, in, in doing what he had said. And so they came together themselves and thought, well, we're going to uh, solve this problem ourselves. We know God has said to do this but we're going to do that. Now that's sin in our life. So as believers and Christians, and I would trust that each of you knows Christ. If you don't, you need to. But as a believer, we say that God's word is truth. Okay? God's word is the standard that I need to live by. And if I'm truly a child of God, his word needs to be supreme in my life. Well, this wasn't happening here. They distrusted God's word, and they wanted to take things into their own hand. A lot of times we do that in our life. We may pray about a situation, but instead of waiting on God or being obedient to God, we try to do it ourselves. We try to fix the problem ourselves, and, and we're going to do the solution. And we rebel against that which God has commanded, or that which God has ordained. And so they were really, I think, in, in many ways, another philosophy is, is that they were going to build this big tower, so if a flood ever came again, they were going to be above this flood. Well, regardless of what the reasoning was for it, they had disobeyed God. And so they weren't following what God's direction was. And so when we look at the world, we can say the world's uh, progress, the technology, the, the governmental systems, uh, the organization, it can, it can really make man better off, but it can't make man better. Okay? So the world system says, you know, you can prosper, you can, you can be better off, but it's not going to make us better. The only thing that makes us better is that personal relationship with Jesus Christ, knowing him as our Savior and Lord. And because we like being better off, right, because this is the world system that's promoted amongst us, it's easy to fall in love with the world. You know, we want to be better off. I want to accomplish these things. I want to have these things. I want to obtain these things. I want this recognition in my life. I want all the, And that's the love of the world. And as we look at these three roots of sin, we're going to see those things 
that come up. And so we can fall in love with the world. Well, how do I get and obtain these things? Well, I need to work. I need to work more. I need to work harder. I need to forsake this. And so many times when I'll talk to people about either a Bible study or prayer time or doing devotion, sometimes people say, you know, I just don't have the time. Well, there's a priority that's wrong in your life if you don't have the time. You know, if you love the world, there's rewards to be gained. There's no doubt about that. You can look around in the world today and, and say, you know, if you love this world, there's things to be gained. You can find uh, the, the place of prestige. You know, you, you can find that elevated position where people are going to look up to you or of status or of honor or just being comfortable. You know, as we sort of come into our our uh, retirement age, and as we look at things, it's so easy to say, well, you know what? When we retire, we want to get everything in line so when we retire, we can be comfortable in our old age. And so do we sacrifice that which God would have for us, or that God would want us to do, in order to obtain these things? The Bible tells us that the love of the world is incompatible with love for the Father. He says you're either going to love one or hate the other. Or hate the other and love one. Okay? So there can only be one priority in your life. Now again, this doesn't mean, you know, that accomplishments in your life are, are not good. No, they're good. They're excellent. Or, or following through with things isn't good. Or, or uh, you know, having, being, living comfortable is wrong. God doesn't really care what you have. He cares with what you do with what you have. And he cares about your attitude towards those things of what you have. You know, and sometimes people get a little uh, amazed. We have our little cabin up in Canada. We have one uh, up in Boyd here. And we've always told people, you know, if you ever want to use it, just let us know. What, what would we have to pay? No, just use it. If you want to use it, use it. God has blessed us with those things. And so we try to give God the glory in all things that we have. We understand, or try to keep in a right perspective of our, of our life, that whatever we have, we're just caretakers of why we are here on this earth. Because when we leave this earth, we're not taking any of that with us. So God has given us some of these things. He's blessed us with these things that we might enjoy them, but we also want others to enjoy things too. So see, it's not wrong to have things, but if all it is is about gaining, you could be like that rich farmer who had you know, these big crops, and so he built bigger barns and this so he could gather more into his, so he could have it all. And what did God say? He said, you fool. Tonight your life is going to be required of you. And so we need to understand that, that love of the world and love of the Father is incompatible. If, if you love God and you love his world, you are going to be at odds with the world system. You're going to be at odds with it. Now we still need to live in this system, but it's going to be contrary. So again, when we look through the world today, we see, we see the contrary things that are going on there. And we need to take a stand for those things that are right. And we need to say this isn't right. This is what God's word says. This is where we were at. And you know there was one time in history where. And probably still is in some places. Where we thought well if we could just remove ourselves from this world. You know from, from society. You know and I often think this. Oh, if I could just go out in the woods and just. Live amongst myself and just you know I could. Pray to God and worship his, his creation that he's given. And, and just enjoy life. You know, we think that we can draw closer to God and avoid these conflicts of the world today. But that doesn't work because first off, 
Uh, when we go, you know, and we used to see this with monks and nuns and things like that where they'd separate out. They wouldn't even talk. Some of them wouldn't talk for years because they just wanted to focus on. But the problem with that is, is when you remove yourself from society and, and go wherever you go to your little uh, place of sanctity, you bring the world with you. So even though I got this little oasis, when I go there, I've brought part of the world with me. That's part of the problem. The second thing is, is that Jesus tells us that he has called us to be in the world and not of the world. And so some Christians miss that. So we have Christians that in their pursuit of holiness and their pursuit of righteousness, um, they, they wrongly uh, interpret the scriptures where it says be called out from amongst them or separate yourselves out. They sort of think, well, yeah, we're just hanging out with our own little Christian buddies, our own little Christian things. We're not involved with anything in the world. No, Jesus says that we are to be in the world, but not of the world. And that was his prayer in John 17. So he says, guess what, Christian? You need to be in the world. You need to be rubbing shoulders with the lost of this world because that's the only way they're going to hear about Christ. You need to reach out with God's love, not just to those that are like-minded, but to those that are unlovable. You ever try to love somebody that's unlovable? It's sort of hard sometimes, right? It's difficult, but God has called us to do those things. So we reach out. We want to help. We want to bless. And, I, and I'll often say many times when I go out and say, you know, I sort of just want to be a blessing to people and share these things. Many times I end up getting blessed in return for those things. So we need to get into the world. So as Christians, we don't isolate ourselves. We don't hide in our houses. We don't just have our little clicky reunions, because that's not biblical at all. We need to be out into the world doing these things. And so God has called us to do those things because that's what we need to do. But we don't embrace the world. We don't embrace their standards. Being in the world and not of the world is what God has called us to do. And so when we look at the character of the world in, in uh, verse 16, it tells us this, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but it's of the world. So, like again, I said, I believe all sins can go back to these three uh, deep tap, tap roots in our life. And these are the things that are, are worldly. This is the worldliness. This is what our attack on uh, the relationship with God comes from, is these three things. So we can even go back and we can look at the beginning of time when uh, man was created. We had Adam and Eve, and they were living in a paradise, walking with God. And we know the fall of man, right? We know the sin that happened. All of a sudden Eve was uh, in the garden and there was forbidden fruit and she saw that it was good for food. And she probably thought how good that fruit would taste. Have you ever seen something and you just think like, oh man. And you just know how good it is. And it doesn't matter where you go, you know, today. Just in a worldly sense, we're looking at this. You see that steak, you smell that steak, you look at that, or we just pulled some plums off of our trees and you think, oh that looks so delicious, and you can imagine what it's going to taste like, and you, and you desire to taste it, and you want to eat it. Well, that's sort of a lust of the flesh. My flesh is craving something, and I want to satisfy the lust of the flesh. Well, Eve did that. God had said, don't touch this, don't go there. But she had the lust of the flesh. I bet you that tastes just wonderful. And who knows all what the serpent had said, or if those were the only words that were... Um, dialogue between those two but she had that lust of the flesh that it was going to taste good it was going to satisfy her flesh and so what did she do she looked upon it and she, she saw it it was appealing to her eyes 
And so that was a draw. Think about commercials today. Think about how things go in the world today, how they, they want to appeal to our eyes and to our flesh. You know, if you look at commercials today on TV versus back in the 60s, like when I was born and young, there's a world of difference. You know, it used to be you'd have probably uh, some old man holding a box of borax up there, and this is borax this clean. He'd tell you what it did, but what do they do now? They put some little girl in a bikini out there and, you know, buy this, buy this, and you're moved to buy those things by the looks. Packaging, even for candy bars. I, I read an article a long time ago on that, that marketing is huge because if you can attract the people's eyes, you get them to want that thing. And it can taste terrible, but they'll buy it because of the packaging. But we see that in the world. That's the world system today. We get lured in by our eyes. We get lured in by our, our flesh. You know, we desire to have this. We desire to have this need fulfilled. And so she had the lust of the flesh. She had the lust of the eyes. But then what did the serpent say? God doesn't want you to eat this because what? He knows that when you eat this, your eyes are going to be opened. You're going to know things that like God knows. Oh, wisdom. The pride of life. I'm going to be smart. I'm going to be wise. My husband's going to admire me if I eat this. The pride of life. She wanted recognition in those things. And so we can even just look at a story like that of Adam and Eve, and we can see how all three of those Sins, roots that John is talking about, took place back in the Garden of Eden. You know, God knows he created us, right? He knows that we got a fleshly body. He knows that we have physical needs, and we, he knows that things feel good, um, you know, and when they get satisfied in our life. But it's not God's nature to influence us through the lust of the flesh. That's not God's plan or purpose. That's not his nature to do those things. That's the world's nature. Satisfy your flesh. You can look at the magazines, you know, that say, go for the gusto. You only live once. You only go around once. Get all you can get. Enjoy all that you can enjoy. The lust of the flesh, that's the world's way. That's not God's nature. God knows we have eyes. He knows that appearance means a lot. I mean, we look at one another, right? I mean, when I saw my wife for the first time, I fell in love with her. And I was like, this is the woman I want to marry. And I still look at her today. We are out having coffee this morning. I look at her and I think, she's just the most beautiful thing. Almost 40 years later, most beautiful thing. We're out having coffee. He knows that our eyes are important, that when we look at things, that they can be appealing. But it's not God's nature to influence us that way. That's the world's way. That's our fleshly way that, that gets... You know, those things. And again, there's nothing wrong with, you know, we want to dress nice. We want to look good. We like things to look nice. We like our maybe our car shiny or our house clean. I mean, those are, are, are okay. God knows it, but it's not in God's nature to influence us that way. And when we look at the emotional or the psychological things in our life, again, God knows that accomplishments are, are important to us, right? You know, the, to, to just to finish something, to build something, to say, I made this with my hands, or I saw this through, I got through my education, and, and I you know, accomplished these things. He knows that some of that recognition in our life is important. He made us that way. But it's not in God's nature to influence us through the pride of life. See, God gives us his Holy Spirit in our life. 
in the things that he speaks to us, he speaks to us through the words of his, of his Bible and through the message of his Holy Spirit. But we really, I think in our lives, rarely think how often our thoughts are more of the world than of the Father. Because as Christians, we sit here and we think, well, I'm a godly person. I listen to Christian radio. I watch Christian TV. I got a Bible at home. I read accomplished authors on, on biblical things. And we think many times that um, we're more uh, biblical than maybe what we really are. And so John is saying, take a look at your life because if you have these things going on in your life, they need to be addressed. That's that self-examination that we have in our life. We usually believe that we think much more biblically than we really do. We like to take scriptures and move them to our thought pattern. You know, so as a believer, we might say, hey, you know, I sort of believe this way, and so I'm going to find scriptures to support my viewpoint. And God says we shouldn't be looking at it that way. We need to read his word, see what his word says. Because in, in all these things that we look at in the world today, you know, I mean, there's, there's those that call themselves Christian churches that, that, you know, are supportive of homosexuality, of transgender things, of, of living in adultery or living in sin, all these things. And they support it and, they, and they'll use scriptures. They'll find scriptures to help back them up in those thoughts. You know, how do we justify abortion and all these things in our life? You know, we can find, if we look, and we can cherry pick scriptures to find those things. And so many times people think that they're more biblical than they really are. We need to get back into God's word, see what God's word says and live that. Because what is your standard of success? Is it worldly or is it godly? What makes you uh, a godly father or a godly mother or a godly friend? Is it the world's standards or is it God's standards? We need to look at those things and see. You know, we can, we can have all these things lined up at our, our shelves, all the trophies of all of our accomplishments. And again, accomplishments are okay in our life. But are we doing those for the right reasons? Are we using those things for the right reasons? Would you consider the Apostle Paul a failure or a success? Because before he came to Christ, he had everything, right? Power, prestige, authority. He had everything that the world would say is grand to have. What a successful man. But what did he say? He says, I count this all as rubbish for the excellence of knowing Christ. And after he came to Christ, he was imprisoned, he was uh, beaten, he was uh, chastised not only by the world but by other Christians for a long time. He was fighting just to show himself a true believer. And so think of your standard of what uh, makes people appealing in your life. Is it worldly or is it godly? You know, so many times we look at the package from the outside and God says, you need to look at the heart. Because that's what God does. God looks at our heart. Is your standard for spirituality worldly or godly? You know, there is worldly churches out there, right? We can see it today where they go and they, you know, have things going on right in the church that we would say are an abomination. You know, the Bible tells us we're not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And so as John is writing the church here, he's telling us much the same thing. We need to be transformed. We need to look at our lives, examine ourselves, 
And so we look at the folly of worldliness in 17. It says, and the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. See, we often invest in things um, that cannot last because the world is coming to an end, right? Sometimes we work our whole lives gathering, 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 and say, look at what I have. Look at what I've accomplished. Look at all these treasures and trophies that I have in my life. But the world's passing away. And will any of those things have eternal value? Because God tells us we need to invest in those things that have eternal value. And we saw this with the example in the Tower of Babel. The world does not win out against God. There's a day that's coming where it says every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you may say, I've done all these things. And he can say, depart from me. I never knew you. You can have that worldly spirituality that says, well, didn't I go to church? Didn't I give this? Didn't I do that? He's going to say, but there was no relationship with me. Depart from me. I never knew you. The world is passing away. And this is really, I think, pretty powerfully illustrated in the life of Lot in Genesis 13 and 14 and on when we look at that life of Lot. Because Lot attached himself to a spiritual man named Abraham. Right? Abraham was a godly man. Lot was like a nephew. And so Lot attached himself to Abraham. He had the example. He had the, the role model. He had everything um, that he probably needed in his life. But yet Lot was selfish. Lot sought after himself. He wanted to uh, see what was the most beneficial for him. As a Christian, are you like that? Are you selfish in your goals and in your pursuits? Are you always looking what's most beneficial for you? Or do you consider others greater than yourself, as the Bible says we are supposed to do? Lot didn't consider the spiritual implications of what he was doing. Are you? Are you considering the implications of what you are doing? You know, when you gossip, when you slander, do you think of the spiritual implications that that has on other people's lives? Do you think about the testimony that it has as a Christian even? When we see churches split and go opposite ways, what testimony does that give the world? When we see believers suing believers, what testimony does that give to the world? See, we need to consider our actions and our life and the things that we do as being eternal for what God would have us to do. And so, Lot, he didn't think of the spiritual implications of what he was doing. He was just concerned about himself, looking out for number one. And isn't that what the world teaches us? Did he have the, the lust of the flesh? He wanted to gather up things in his life to be successful. He became financially prosperous, the Bible says. He didn't have much of a need in this world's opinion. He put, but he pitched his tent towards the wicked city of Sodom. You know, he made bedfellows with evil. As Christians, are you unequally yoked? Are you making connections and doing things with those that you shouldn't be? Because God tells us we need to live our life. As, as Paul said again in Philippians, this one thing I do, I press forward to the upward call in Christ Jesus. He says, I haven't I apprehended, I haven't attained everything. I'm not perfect by any means. But this one thing I do, I'm really trying to press forward. Are you doing that in your life? 
So he was sitting at the gates of, of Sodom with the important people, with the, with the leaders of the community, making decisions. He was looked up upon because of his financial status. Uh, he, he had that worldly status. He had that influence of others. And you know, some people in this world, that's all they want. They want status. They want position. They want to be recognized by others. They want wealth. They want comfort. They want all these things in life for the sake of having those things. Yet for Lot it was all taken away in a moment when the judgment of God came against Sodom and Gomorrah. It was all burned up in a flash. If you're investing in just worldly things, the lust of your flesh, the lust of your eyes, the pride of your life, if that's all that you're investing in, when you are called home, those things the Bible says are like hay and stubble. They're just going to vanish. They're going to be burned up in judgment day. But those things that we invest in that have eternal value, time spent with family, teaching them the values of God's word, doing the ministry that God has called you to do, investing in the spiritual things instead of the worldly things, those are the things that are going to have eternal value. See, Lot put all his eggs in the wrong basket, and it was burned up by the fact that the world is passing away. Where are you putting your eggs? Where are you putting your time, your energy, your resources? The Bible says, he who does the will of God abides forever. It's better to invest our lives in those things that cannot be lost. The Bible tells us when we come before Christ, there's going to be jewels for a crown. And those are the eternal investments that we've made in our life. So I just want to leave you with this, and I want you to be challenged that In this life, there's really three eternal things. So there's the Holy Spirit. If you're a born-again believer, you have a personal relationship with Christ. Uh, You know him as your personal Lord and Savior. You have his Holy Spirit in your life. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. That Holy Spirit leads you and guides you in the things that you need to know. The second is, is the people around you. We make impacts on people's lives. What impact are you making on people's lives in a positive way, on a good way? I think a lot of times as Christians, sometimes we leave a bitter taste in people's mouths. Jesus came to speak the truth, but he also said, you know, we might be that only Jesus that some people see. And people generally come to Christ through others. We don't save them, Jesus saves them. But they come to Christ through others, through our testimony, through our reaching into their lives, into us wanting to bless them them and to share the good news of the message of Jesus Christ. So we have the Holy Spirit, we have people around us, and we have the Word of God. And I know many people don't bring their Bible to church anymore, but the Bible is an important thing, and you need to spend time reading it. If you say, well, I don't have time, I'm just too busy, something else needs to go. The Word of God does not. You need to get in there and read it. Sometimes you say, I don't understand it. You know, sometimes it's complicated. they got versions today that, that... Just about anybody can understand. Plus, there's commentaries. There's all sorts of things. But you pray before you get into the Word of God and say, God, you know, give me some understanding in this. There's no substitute for the Word of God because this is the roadmap of life. This is the roadmap that that really leads us in the directions that we need to go. This is what helps us discern what is right and wrong and the things that we should do. This is what helps us um, to, to keep sin looking like sin. And righteousness looking like righteousness. And again, we're not looking to be holier than thou. 
That's not the taste we want to put in people's mouth. What we want to do is we want to show people that we love the Lord and that He loves you. For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have have eternal life. And we want to introduce you to my friend Jesus because what He did for me, He's willing to do for you. That's the message that we want to give. So when we look at these taproots, do you have some of these in your life? I challenge you this week to just look at your life and, and maybe just examine yourself and say, you know, do I got some of these things that are driving me? Am I investing my eggs into the wrong basket? Or am I doing these things that have eternal value? Let's pray.